Anyone born in this millennium has a better than evens chance of living to age 100. Even if you're 60, there's a good chance you'll live past 90. Yet most of the financial advice we see is based around a time when people lived shorter lives and it hasn't aged well and is probably wrong. The Century Plan looks at the financial decisions needed to maintain a comfortable lifestyle where your money outlives you and not the other way around. I'm Dennis Hall. I'm a Chartered Financial Planner and I've been giving financial advice to people for almost 40 years. And I'm Sarah Steele. I work with Dennis and I'm here to ask questions on behalf of you, our listeners, and to keep things on the right side of technical. Welcome to this episode of The Century Plan. Today we're going to be talking about simplicity, well, and complexity, because they do seem to bump up against each other in our business. I don't know what it is about humans, Sarah, but we seem to be drawn to complexity. And whilst there are some areas where complexity is attractive and can be admired, architecture, nice watches, yes. cars, um, when it comes to savings and investments, I've found that simple is often better. And actually not just savings and investments. You know, we are told by some of the best minds in history that simplicity is what we should be striving for. I mean, I'm always drawn to Einstein, who is purported to have said that everything should be made as simple as possible, but importantly, no simpler. Right. And then you've got the physicist Richard Feynman, you've got Stephen Hawking, both really driving to create simplicity in what were incredibly complex mathematical uh, solutions that they were trying to find to the universe. And I know that you're a fan of that other sort of guru, Steve Jobs. Yes, I am. Um, He said that one of his mantras is focus and simplicity, and that simple can be harder than complex. It can. And uh, well, you've just got to look at the products that they came out with. Exactly. Um, I mean, I can go as far back as the iPod. I don't know if you can, Sarah. Just about. Just about. But let's go pre-iPod, when people like me would walk into stores like Richer Sounds, and we would just be instantly attracted to the flashing lights and the things with the largest number of dials and buttons on them. I mean, I even had a a graphic equaliser in my car. No, you didn't. I did, but I mean, you set them up once and then all you really want to do is concentrate on driving um, and listening to music. And I mean, aside from music systems, I mean, it's not just men like me, you know, hi-fi geeks. It's washing machines. Right. Have you got a washing machine, Sarah? I do have a washing machine. Okay. How many programs have you got on that washing machine? I think it's probably got about 15. 15. And how many of those 15 are you using on a regular basis? Well, I definitely use two, potentially three if I'm going to do a hand wash. All hand washing, Sarah, should be done in the sink. Well, that's a matter of opinion. Yeah, I know. But um, I think, I mean, I use one. Right. If I'm, if I'm tasked with doing the washing on a Sunday morning, and occasionally I am, then what I am not going to do is to spend my time sorting these things out into coloreds, darks, lights, I mean, um, cottons and, and synthetics. Or whatever. I, I mean, I, I'm aware that these things exist. <laughs> I slightly fear for your washing. <laughs> I, I don't. You can get these things now out there and you put it in the machine and it just soaks up all the excess colour. Okay. Yeah. So I just put everything and find a nice cool wash, throw it in there, turn it on. If I'm going to hand wash, I'll hand wash. Uh, <laughs> 
But it's true, we, we are drawn to complexity. When I bought my washing machine, I bought any of the appliance in the house, I've tended to think I've wanted more rather than less. And then when I reflect on that, I've ended up using just one or two things. We don't have the time or the space in our lives to deal with complexity, even if we're attracted to it. Mm. And I'm, you know, you've heard me talk about the complexity of watches. We don't, you know, or timepieces. Yeah. Um, Vasher and Constantin, the watchmaker, they have the most complicated watch ever built, and it's, it took them about eight years. To build this and it has a price tag of a, well it had a price tag of about 10 million dollars mm. but this for all its complexity had a very simple name it was the reference 57260 uh, 57 for the number of complications involved and 260 for the number of years um, the, the the company had been in existence okay. but this is something that I said it weighed a kilogram, it was about 10 centimetres in diameter, about 5 centimetres deep, had nearly 3,000 components, it had four different calendars, it had five gongs inside with hammers to create seven different chimes, um, it, it has uh, seasons, equinoxes, solstices, moon phases, all kinds of things that actually you can carry around on your phone in your pocket. Mm-hmm. You, nobody needs a timepiece with that complexity, but it's absolutely beautiful. And it was commissioned by a billionaire. And if you've got that kind of money, maybe you, maybe that's where complication comes in. But for you and I, and actually I don't know any billionaires, most people, we don't need that level of complexity mm. in anything they do. No, I think I would just Google when the solstice was going to happen. Uh, yeah, you would. You, well, if, if people don't already tell you. But we've got to bring this back to money, right? Yeah, Okay. always. Always. Business, Sarah, we see a lot of portfolios that cross our desk. Um, you know, the, the, not only are they, you know, clients' portfolios or potential clients' portfolios, but, you know, the Times, the Telegraph, the Investors Chronicle from time to time, they ask me to review a client's portfolio, sort of a reader's, a reader's uh, query. And so I set myself this challenge of trying to work out what the overarching investment philosophy has been in the construction of this portfolio. Um, but I can't find one. Okay. And what, why do you think that is? Why can't you, who's got 40 years of experience, find what their investment philosophy is? Because I don't think there is one. Right. Basically. I mean, okay. it's as simple as that. I mean, I, I, I think that what happens is that people are reading these magazines all the time or they're talking to people. Um, what I see or what I think I see is a lot of FOMO, right. fear of missing out. Yeah. Is that, I mean, look, let's face it, publications, news, um, magazines, they're, you know, they're coming out daily, weekly, monthly, all the time they've got to fill their pages with something new. And there are an awful lot of people that believe they can forecast mm. um, what's going to happen or think they've got an angle. And if you're an amateur investor, you're going to think, well, you know, that's a convincing story. These people are paid to write. They're paid to write well. So if they've got a convincing story, you think maybe you want some of that. And so you yeah. begin to build up this patchwork of investments and funds that becomes incredibly complicated yep. to follow. It's certainly complicated for me, as a supposed investment professional, to work out how on earth you've got that. 
until I start looking back at the dates that they've acquired them and think, well, that was the flavour of the month then, that was the flavour of the month then. You're just buying something. Y- yeah, it, 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 it's, it's a problem. And do you find it hard to tell people that? Um, they must feel quite proud of their portfolios, that they have an ego about it. I think if you're coming to me for my advice, I, I have to tell you what I see. Mm. Um, and look, the, the, the fact is that professional fund managers, never mind the, the, you know, the person sat at home, the professional fund managers, more often than not, fail to beat the benchmark. Yeah. By the benchmark, I might mean the, the index. So if you've got a, a fund manager that's investing in UK shares, um, and they're probably benchmarking themselves to either the, the, the FTSE 100 or the All Share Index. Um, I think in 2022, the last time we had figures for this, about 80% of managers fail to beat the index. These are professional people doing it all day long. Well, that's relatively shocking. I would assume it would be different. And some years it is <laughs> different. You know, they might get as, as, as many as half them could be just about beating the benchmark mm-hmm. but as I say these are people that are doing it all day you know supposedly doing this all day long mm. it's their job what hope does somebody you know set at their dining room table once every couple of months or or what, however long it takes um, trying to work out building these complex things so what's the answer then well the answer has always been simplicity for mm. me you know, it's a 40-year journey for me to get to this state of mind. When I first joined financial services, Sarah, um, complexity was the new kid on the block. Yeah. You know, uh, people, if they wanted... The, the ordinary people, if they wanted to invest, would be directed into an insurance company's with-profit fund. Nobody knew how that really worked. Very, very opaque, not that transparent. But then we started to see the rise in, in you know, sort of unit trusts and these unitized investments where people could then buy and you know just buy investments in technology healthcare or you know specific funds and they begin to think that they've got some expertise they've certainly got the accessibility and active investment management was a phrase that I was drawn to right. instead of that passive thing this mm. active investment mm. management where somebody would take a look at all of these funds and choices and say, well, I kind of know where, where we're going to apply your money. Um, and I've come full circle over that 40 years. Okay. The thing is, passive does sound like a relatively negative word. So I suppose if you're, if you're faced with either, you might think, right, active, that means proactive. Passive, that means sitting back. It, well, yes, but, you know, sitting back really, really works. Right. Um, I don't know, you know, I've tried to find the reference to this story online and I just cannot find it. But there is this myth that runs around um, that the most successful investors that Fidelity found were the dead ones. <laughs> <laughs> These were portfolios that, uh, um, that had been, you know, the, 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 someone had died, nobody notified Fidelity, therefore there was no activity. Nobody was buying and selling. When they found them and they looked at the performance of these things, they were generally outperforming everybody else. And there actually is a lot of academic research about 
uh, investor behavior. We, you know, we, we, we buy and sell way too often. We think we're cleverer than we really are. With the recency biases that we have, we listen to news about what's going to go well, so we plow all our money into that. And time and time again, we're caught out. Can you just, sorry, recency biases? Oh, yes. Yeah, so we'll, we tend to give more focus to the things that we've heard most recently. Okay, that makes sense. Um, basically, <laughs> forget all of the historical lessons. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got this guy, uh, Daniel Kahneman, the psychologist, Nobel Prize winner for economics in 2002, um, who said something like this, that, that a reliable way to make people believe in falsehoods is frequent repetition because familiarity is not easily distinguished from truth. And if you think about it, the amount of money that is paid by professional investment houses in order to get their hands on your money is that active management works Mm. and that they know better. And yet all the proof is that they don't. They've got as good a chance as anybody else of, of making or losing money. Yeah, I think people are possibly comforted by the fact that they think an expert is looking after their money. Um, That view may be changing, but I sort of understand it. Well, I can understand why people might be nervous about making a big decision, a big purchase. But I really think that financial services ought to stand up and say, we don't know. So there are some things that we do know there are some things that are in our control you know how to make use of tax allowances some financial planning to say well if you keep doing this here's what the end result might look like Mm -hmm. to get people to I suppose adopt the right behaviors Mm -hmm. but that's not historically where advisors and the industry has been able to earn its money so it just you know creates this myth that there's a real art and a skill in investing money. Yeah, so the more complex it is, the more clever we are and the better we are yeah. at our jobs. and yeah. we've seen that in the language, the bam, you know, we, it's an industry that's bamboozled. My view is that, I believe internally, you know, it's, it's subscribed to, is that even the financial planning world that I live in seems to indicate or tell people that they need to, to do their financial planning every year. Well, that's not true either okay so we don't need an annual review an annual review yes but don't overcomplicate the annual review invariably for most people things change quite slowly big events in our lives don't happen that often and big events is when you need to be you know time and money um to to get over them and 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 maybe you can be prepared for them Mm. but you know how much do you need to spend each year on this stuff? I don't know, you tell no, me. No, no, I don't know either. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, if we, if we are being fundamentally honest about it, one of the few things that we can control is how much we spend on our investments, our financial advice. Mm. And some people, I, don't, I get it, they don't like money, they, they want other people to make those decisions. That's fine. Other people, maybe you're just dabbling too much. It's, you know, this is what I tell my children. It's almost what I've got in my own pension fund, almost. (laughs) I'm attracted to a bit of complexity too. But I buy the lowest cost funds that I can find that, that generally meet my rules of investing, which is 
You've got to be invested. I'm almost 100% invested in equities for the long term. It's got to be diversified. Yep. So I want to, you know, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. Um, but I have to have enough, I suppose, easily accessible capital behind me so that in an emergency or or when the time I need to access money, if the stock market's gone down, I don't have to sell. Okay. I've okay. got to be in a position where I choose to sell. Yep. I think that's my three basic rules is um, invest in the stock market, diversify, choose when to sell. Okay. Warren Buffett has got two rules. <laughs> he simplifies it even further. And these are? Um, well, I was about to get to that. His <laughs> two rules are, first rule, don't lose money. Second rule, refer to rule one. Um, <laughs> I, like I know, it. corny. <laughs> no, but I like it. Uh, it's, um, Is this a good point to talk about that analogy you made the other day about the bar of soap? Um, you're talking about um, handing your money over to active managers and, and people dealing with your money. And that just really struck a chord with me. Um, this was, yeah, your money is like a bar of soap. Yeah. The more you handle it, the smaller it gets. Yeah. And I think, and again, it's that simplicity of how can you paint a picture in as, as simple way as possible. We all know that the more you, you, you wash your hands with a bar of soap, the smaller it gets. The more people that, that, that your money's, the more hands that your money goes through, mm. asset managers, the buying and the selling this, actually the, the effect of those charges is going to make that money smaller. Exactly. Particularly if they're not adding any real skill. Um, and, you know, it, all financial advisors, certainly my generation, came into this business being told, being taught almost by the industry side what was the right thing. The industry side really isn't the side that has taught me about simplicity. I've had to go outside of, of financial services to begin to get those lessons. So where have you gone for that? I think we touched on it right at the beginning of our podcast. Well, anywhere else, really. I mean, one, you begin to see that these things aren't working long term. Mm. But the same stories, the same tropes come up time and time again. Um, that you know, Active management is better. You, you know, we've just had a situation where the stock market's been sliding, the bond market's been sliding, and all the active managers are saying, here's where you need us now. And... <laughs> And we look at their performance over the last 12 months, and honestly, it's no better. Okay. Um, you, you know, that belief. So much, if, you know, I was talking about that investment philosophy earlier. That's that rule, is that you need to be investing in real assets. So I suppose if I'm not looking within the financial services industry for my lessons, I'm looking at the academic world. Yeah. What does academia tell us? Those, you know, there's a, a, an awful lot of research that has been done over the last 30, 40, and 50 years and it all points to the stock market generally being a, a random walk. You cannot really um, forecast too easily. You might get some ideas, but you can't really forecast down to individual stock level. Um, the, yeah, the, the academic world really does tell you if you're prepared to listen. That keep it simple. Control those very small number of things that you are able to control. And also, I guess, just make sure that you're thinking about the long term, because once you've got a simple plan set up, you don't need to think about it again. We're all too busy with life. Mm. You know, it's a bit that, I mean, we'll go back to washing machines, you know, or any of those purchases. Of course I'm going to use all 16 programmes. I've got, I've got a wide variety of clothes, but when you get home and you might do, you might experiment with something for the first couple of times, you might experiment with your fancy hi-fi system out setting up. Once it's set, you stop. Yeah. 
we haven't got the time. It's an incredibly complex world as it is. That why do we want to overload ourselves with things? Now, here's a something else, Sarah, that's just, I mean, I'll say just occurred to me. It happens all the time, is that somebody in the relationship begins to take responsibility for the investments. I used inverted commas there. Mm. Um, and they, if they've got an interest in it and they have, it becomes complicated. But as we get older, we suffer from cognitive decline. Yes. It's so, you know, the ability to keep going with that changes. Mm. But also, if you drop dead, who's going to run that for you? Yeah. I have seen too many you know, um, widows, widowers who were not responsible for the finances completely out of the loop and not knowing what to do to the point where they lose money. Right. And I'm sure we've all seen this happen with relatives and friends where yeah. someone's been left not knowing what to do. No, it's an incredibly pieces. stressful time mm. at that point. Um, you're, you know, everything in your body is working against you. The, you know, as you're, you know, you're, you're fighting grief, and so then makes complex decisions about money, and something that you've perhaps not taken an interest in before. If you were, and and I know that the people that are taking that responsibility are doing it for the best reasons, um, and of my generation, that you know, it used to be a lot that the, the man used to do all of this. Yeah, uh, that that is changing. Mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily changing as quick as you know, life gets complicated, is that they're doing this. They don't want any harm to come to to their spouse. No. But they're forgetting that if they weren't there, they've left a hell of a mess. Mm, a lot of stress. So we, you know, I work with clients particularly of, the, of, of, of my generation to simplify what they've got, um, to create the dead file. What happens if I die? Where is everything? Well, if you're having to you know, redo that list every year you kind of want to make that simple mm. is there something else we could call it i mean i really like the idea of that but <laughs> i'm sure there is something else but i'm we'll keeping it really it. simple sarah oh, it's okay. the dead fair fire. enough <laughs> um gosh i think i'm talking around in circles now look simplicity is something i want to be coming back to time and time again because i think if you can if you can get a handle on what that really means and it, it does get back to that Einstein quote or something they said before is everything should be made as simple as possible. But we've got to, for, you know, don't forget that, that, that second piece, but not simpler. We shouldn't make it so simple it becomes a dumb thing to do. Yeah. There, is a, a, there is a lower level of complexity that we reach, but we don't have to reach for the higher level of complexity. And um, Henry Kaufman, some people may have heard of Henry Kaufman, uh, an economist and investor and a renowned sage in Wall Street. Um, He succinctly summed up something I'm trying to say about financial services. Innovation in finance is designed largely to benefit those who create the complex new products rather than those that own them. Okay. And um, that's... I think probably something to leave it at. (laughs) Well, I think that says it all, Dennis. That's brilliant. Thank you. I've really enjoyed chatting about simplicity. I hope our listeners have as well. If you have, do follow us or let us know what you think. And we'll look forward to having you with us next time on The Century Plan.